Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report's weekly technology report. For Vaga Maradian, I'm Chris Cervello. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. A few weeks ago, Vaga was at the DSCI trade show in London, the world's largest defense exhibition, where he met with a wide array of technology companies and senior leaders. At DSCI, he had a chance to talk to two members of the ARCIT team, which we'll hear from shortly. David Kumo Kumashiro, a retired U.S. Air Force Brigadier General who spearheaded the service's cross-functional team for Joint All-Domain Command and Control. Kumo is now the company's U.S. General Manager. We also talked to Rocky Rochelle, a retired Royal Air Force Air Vice Marshal who served as Chief of Staff for Capability Acquisition and Force Development before becoming ARCIT's Managing Director for Sales. Before we hear from Rocky and Kumo, a quick shout out to our sponsors, whose generous sponsorship makes this program possible. Our daily podcast is sponsored by Bell. HII sponsors our global coverage. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our strategy coverage. Ultra Intelligence and Communication sponsors our command and control coverage. GE Aerospace sponsors our air and naval coverage. And Spirit Aerosystems Defense and Space sponsored our coverage of the Air Force Association's Airspace Cyber Conference and Trade Show held at National Harbor a few weeks ago. Here's Vago's conversation with Kumo Kumashiro and Rocky Rochelle. Guys, thanks so very much for making time for, uh, for us here on the show floor because it's exceptionally busy and you guys are a little bit of stars here with people backing up, uh, waiting to talk to you. Uh, Rocky, it was great seeing you earlier uh, this year at the Global Air and Space Chiefs Conference in, in London before the Royal International Air Tattoo. Kumo, you and I have been talking about doing this uh, for a while. You've been with the company for a couple of years and there are a lot of innovative, interesting companies here, but you guys are particularly unique. Uh, and when you left the Air Force, you told me that you know, whatever it is you were going to do is going to be with an interesting company. Tell the audience a little bit about ARCIT and what makes it very unique because you guys are positioned in what is going to be a critical capability a lot earlier than some other companies. Yeah, thanks, thanks Vago. Really what uh, ARCIT is focused on is the post-quantum security threat, number one. Uh, second, uh, the ability to do dynamic uh, symmetric key agreement across edge platforms. Those are the two value props that the company uh, brings to bear. Uh, what I have loved about the company is this ability to continuously out-innovate. And through our team of technologists and warfighters that, uh, that we've assembled, uh, I think we've got there. And, and uh, Rocky, uh, let me go to you. Your last job in the Royal Air Force obviously was looking at the future capabilities the force was going to need in an integrated airspace cyber uh, standpoint. Um, you and I, some years ago actually at DSAR, were talking about quantum and how that potentially changes the game. From the standpoint of a warfighter and a planner, what are the things that we need to be doing now to prepare for where we're going to be? Because obviously the intelligence agencies have been working on this technology and we know the Chinese are actually fielding capability. Well, we need to be alive to the fact is that challenge of quantum computers to encryption of the future is not a far horizon anymore. If you and I had looked at this and had a conversation about this Vargo 15 years ago when we first met, that would have been a 10, 30, 50 year horizon. I think it's fair to say that consistent commentary now says that's three, 
five, seven years away. And we need to prepare ourselves for that. And of course, we're trying to, in the joint force, enable everything can talk to everything. A sensor is a shooter, a shooter is a sensor, and how they connect. That is a really hard challenge, even today, but based in that future where your basic forms of encryption or public key encryption can be decrypted very easily, we need to get ahead of that curve. What I liked about joining the company is the innovation because I see that this could be the unlocker of things like MDI in the UK, multi-domain integration, or JADC2 in the States, joint warfare cloud concepts. How can you make things that are small, IoT devices, edge devices, small UAVs, sensors, UAVs connected to edge devices, how can you bring those together? We are getting good success and we have the right sort of partners. You can see that on the board behind me, the right sort of team members, and that is growing as we move forward to bring that alive. And I hope we'll give you some really fancy diamond demonstrations of that capability very, very soon. And uh, before we go on with the rest of the conversation, Kumo, give the audience a sense for um, you know, quantum and its implications, because I think, uh, right, it will uh, be able to allow you to encrypt in a way that you can't decrypt, and then if whoever has the capability first can then decrypt what everybody else has uh, encrypted. What, what is it that uh, folks need to bear in mind? Because you know, we talk about quantum, sort of give, give kind of the warfighter a sense uh, and the audience a sense for actually how significant a change this capability is going to be. Well, it's, it's significant in the sense that most of our networks rely on public key infrastructure, which is based on asymmetric encryption. It is that asymmetric encryption that is vulnerable to being broken by quantum compute. So the challenge is how then do you leverage the quantum security that's baked in the symmetric encryption, with the, which the Department of Defense is, largely uses uh, across its warfighting force, but then enable that dynamic symmetric key agreement for, for endpoints. And so the solutions that are out there with these new post-quantum cryptographic standards, there's still yet to be determined uh, the ability to scale that for IoT devices, and again, uh, what I mentioned with this composability and decomposability of the joint force. Rocky just talked about uh, the integration. Uh, you were the uh, advanced uh, battle management system uh, guy for the U.S. Air Force, a thankless task where uh, you, you, were, you were ground down. You were ground down as, as uh, your successors and predecessors were. Uh, I'm, no offense to anybody uh, in this process. Talk to us about the challenge, right? Because their introduction of quantum uh, is a door opener. But you know, just from a data perspective, we're doubling the amount of data we have every six months, which means the attack surface is doubling in vulnerability every six months. We're going to use quantum to protect, but then quantum is also going to be um, you know, a liability, as you said, right? It allows you to decrypt everything and securely encrypt yourself. From the standpoint of the network, how does the technology and the defensive technology play into what a broader multi-domain command and control system or, or combined, right, or coalition, CJADC2, I should say, is the new acronym. Like, what's the role that it plays? Well, well number one, uh, from my time in JADC2, it really reignited the passion for what innovation and emerging technology could be. And during that time, really understood that interoperability of networks and the ability to move data uh, at the speed, at machine speed, was incredibly important. 
what we currently do in, in how we do our symmetric encryption, uh, symmetric key agreement solution is, is enable that transaction, that security of data uh, across different platforms, across edge devices, uh, across networks in a way that is not only post-quantum secure, but is dynamic, and that has always been a challenge for symmetric encryption uh, for our warfighters. So being able to unlock that and, and scale that for CJATC2, for IoT, is incredibly important moving forward. Let me uh, ask you a, a quick technology uh, question, right? We are, Google maintains it did achieve quantum supremacy. The Chinese are fielding quantum satellites. Nobody has fully confirmed portable quantum computers, right, because now they have to be supercooled and et cetera. Explain for the audience who might be thinking about this, we're talking about quantum, you're preparing for quantum, but we don't yet have quantum, and some people think that's almost a quantum question. I'm trying to be a little bit funny for the theoretical physics guys out there. Anyway, try to explain like what it is, because you're living both in the future, preparing for the future while you're in the present, and that's almost like a quantum question. Well, really, the, the quantum computer threat as it relates to encryption is, it's a math problem, and quantum computers will be able to break the math that underscores asymmetric encryption. Uh, NIST and NSA are developing new cryptographic standards that are expected to be able to withstand the mathematics that, or the compute that uh, quantum computers bring to the table, but that's a long road. It's a long road uh, required for that deployment of those new cryptographic standards. There's a huge cost associated with it, and there's a lot of uncertainty still. Symmetric encryption is still largely thought to be quantum safe, particularly as you look at AES-256. And as I mentioned before, the challenge has always been about how you scale the keys that support symmetric encryption. Uh, and that's the unique part about what we bring to the table and the innovation with respect to being able to generate and agree those keys dynamically all via software. And that, as we look at CJATC2 and IoT and edge devices and composability and decomposability of the force structure, that enables us to be more effective in a secure manner. Um, uh, uh, Rocky, you know, part of your uh, job was uh, to bring everybody together and to get them out of their stovepipes to be able to, to have uh, sort of a more comprehensive approach and solution to these things. Ultimately, one of the challenges the United States unfortunately still faces, and we have a, you know, a, a, a you know, chief data and artificial intelligence officer in the Pentagon now who's trying to merge these streams, and I'm going to come back to you in a yeah. second about how that's uh, working because we say it's a priority but progress is still maybe moving a little more slowly. You had also made this a priority for UK armed forces. What were some of the lessons you learned about the right way to make sure you bring this together, get people out of their army, their RAF, their Royal Navy, the Royal Marine stovepipes, and actually get them together to get some more holistic answers because then the adoption of a technology like this might happen in the Air Force because there might be some innovative people in there, but actually doesn't get to maybe some of the other services that could use it as well. Uh, well, Varga, you've touched on a really passionate uh, subject for me. You, you know how, how passionate I do feel about that. So the hey, reason Rocky, we only have 15 minutes. It's, it's, yeah, it's, that's it's, right. We, I'll have you both back and we can do the one hour deep dive yeah, on it. Yeah, but go ahead. Okay. So I will cut to, the, cut to the chase. It's one of the reasons why we adopted a rapid capability office, which was to challenge that paradigm of how you bring things forward. It's the reason why we did Global Combat Aircraft Program from a UK perspective, now with Italy and with Japan and hopefully other partners in the future. But parts of those concepts are things like attritable combat platforms. 
You don't want to put a two kilogram, three kilogram crypto box on one of those platforms if it doesn't actually explode at the point of detonation, because that is where the adversary would actually exploit you in the future. But also the exploitation that you talked about isn't this three, five, seven even years challenges, is anybody that's doing anything in the test environment. They're running things at high classified levels. And if that data is taken and then decrypted in the future, so that will enable the adversaries to break down your particular capability advantage. So you have to think about that long-lived data issue now. We can help you with that long-lived data issue now to protect you from that long-lived data challenge. And let's face it, there's, there's brilliant work going on in the States. We love the, you know, we don't have an ideological, philosophical conversation in the States with companies or, 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 or warfighters anymore about the challenge. They're alive to it. There's been brilliant work out of the White House, NSM 10, the legislation, the inventory. But as people look at their inventories right now, one, they're having a hard time getting a grasp of what is their cryptographic solution across their inventory and their estate look like. Two, they're built out on incremental programs on legacy infrastructure and let's just say everybody could do better to tighten up what it is that they're doing today so we think we can help people tighten up the current status quo because it is symmetric key and why wouldn't you do it if you could do it and by the way it will help you and protect you for this challenge that's coming towards you much closer than it was previously. But the key, you know, you gained, you've always had a reputation for, you know, being a sledgehammer when you need to be a sledgehammer to drive things forward. In a lovable way. Ultimately, what are some of the keys to make sure that you're actually moving the ball together and doing it comprehensively as opposed to in a piecemeal manner? Because your point on this, and I'm going to come to you in a second, Kumo, is, you, if you actually did this in an integrated manner, everybody could be protecting their data starting now from future vulnerabilities, which is a terrific point. What, what, what's, what's the key to getting everybody on the same sheet of music in order to try to do this? Because question. one vulnerability is everybody's vulnerability. Correct, so it's a great question. And it's difficult for people to adapt to what looks like on the face of it, disruptive te uh, technology. But we're very clear in how we describe it now. And we, I guess we've matured our narrative. We're doing what you're familiar with. We're just doing it in a slightly more scalable way. Uh, and that is the benefit of the technology. So don't fear it. And of course, you know that change doesn't happen unless you find the right people in the system that have either the problem that they've got to sort out, the challenge, or somebody who is still innovative and says, I actually do want to put this level of intelligence in the warfighter's hands at the far edge those people who are prepared to go, let's go and prove that out. Let's have a go at that, are the ones that are going to shift this paradigm. But I, I'm with you, we're at the point where White House has done this incredibly well. The, the NSM, the following legislation, you now all need to, federal and government and defense, prepare for this challenge. It's not a far horizon, it's a near horizon, and you have inherent weaknesses already start doing it. So get out there, have a go, because until you've had a go, you won't work it out. But we've got, you know, we've got great partners, you can see it on the wall. You will have seen, I hope, that Juniper announced the general availability of our network secure product. That's us integrated into Juniper capability, and that is general, avail general availability right now across the globe.
Um, Kumo, let me come to you and ask you sort of the corollary of uh, what uh, Rock, uh, Rocky said. You were trying to drive the ball forward both within the Air Force, where uh, unfortunately there was some uh, resistance, as well as across uh, the Joint Force. We say that it's a priority. W what does the architectural answer to this look like when you go from the quantum key and the encryption part of it all the way to what it is that it has to be, because almost everybody has said 90% of JADC2 or CJADC2 is actually going to be a cultural, you know, or changing how it is that you operate, as opposed to necessarily all about the boxes. Kind of walk us through what the architecture should look like from your standpoint. Well, let me kind of speak to it at a high level. Uh, it's, it's really about not looking at the end state and actually more looking at the journey and the iterations that it will take to get to that future, what that future state actually looks like. And so when we look at what, where the quantum threat is and everyone is on board and agrees on where that quantum threat is coming from and the vulnerabilities that we have, the question then is how do you drive towards those specific in outcomes? And that's really what the focus of uh, the Department of Defense, of the Ministry of Defense, and all like-minded uh, nations should be focused on is how do you drive towards those measurable outcomes in the near term to provide that level of, of security against the quantum threat. So this is now where industry and government have to partner together uh, in order to get to these solutions. And what we've seen, and again, it was the same thing uh, when I was on the, on the JADC2 side of the house, is we have to work um, better and in a more agile manner to get this technology in the hands of warfighters for them to test, uh, use it, integrate it, build concepts around it, and then from that point on, then you start on this journey to get to what this future state should, should look like. With respect to our engagements, as uh, Rocky had mentioned, the White House has released some great uh, guidance on uh, from the National Security Memorandum 10 on symmetric key uh, agreement that was followed by some additional guidance from, from NSA. Uh, our alignment with that solution is the first step, which we've, which we've been working with partners to align that solution then now it's to get it into the hands of warfighters so they can integrate it into their warfighting systems and networks and then prove that out. And then that iterates uh, with other industry partners and government partners to make this a, re make this a reality. So that, again, may be a bit uh, too philosophical on the point of what, what that looks like, but the whole point is to be able to scale solutions quickly that enable more broad adoption across the force. Let me, let me ask one last brief question. Uh, you know, in a lot of my conversations, including and especially about cyber, right, senior leaders, you know, feel comfortable, air, land, sea, space, you know, diplomacy, uh, soft uh, because of Afghanistan and Iraq and elsewhere in the world, but cyber, you know, some even senior and very smart ones sort of are like, wow, you know, I'm a little bit unsteady on this. When you get to the issue of quantum, sometimes folks' eyes glaze over. Do folks have as comprehensive an understanding of the technology at a base level to be able to apply it as warfighters, as opposed to finding the, the one or two guys and gals on the team who they can point to and be like, hey, what, what, what's Kumo talking about here? The answer is no. We have incredibly talented and, and smart senior leaders, but simply put, what I will say is every Captain Kirk needs their spot. So every warfighting commander at Echelon needs that CTO, that trusted uh, chief technology officer to support them. As we continue to grow and develop senior leaders that have that ability to understand this technology, uh, let's rely on the young 
uh, airmen and guardians that actually know how to use this, uh, use this technology. Guys, uh, thanks so very much. We were almost interrupted at the, in the back there with the firearms trainer. Rocky, always a pleasure seeing you, sir. Well, Kumo, a, a pleasure. Thanks very much. Margo, thanks. That wraps up this week's technology report. Join us for tomorrow's Air Power podcast featuring JJ Gertler. Vago returns on Friday for the Washington Roundtable. And then next week will be business as usual as he returns to all of our regular scheduled podcasts. For Vago, I'm Chris Cervello. Have a great day.